You're listening to episode 23 of the We Got the Runs podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about anti-inflammatories, ibuprofen, and hydration. Welcome to the We Got the Runs podcast. We're your hosts, Letty and Angela, and we invite you to join us as we talk about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make running a favorite part of your life. Happy Halloween, runners! I hope everybody is doing great on this October 31st or whenever you're listening to this. And I hope that you got out there and ran in some sort of costume. I don't know. I like to do that kind of stuff just because why not? Um, by the time you guys listen to this, I will be on an airplane or probably already in Los Angeles, California, where my family and I are going to, um, do some visits and take care of some business. So I'm really looking forward to all the trail running and, you know, the boardwalk that's super wide in LA and, um, maybe meeting some friends. Not sure yet. Probably going to be social distancing a lot continuing to do that. So it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I encourage you guys to um, get out there and uh, do your runs in a costume if you haven't done so and if it is the 31st. Anyhow, so I wanted to start and let you guys know that today's um, format is going to be a little bit different. We're going to start with physiotherapist Brody Sharp, who will answer one of our listeners' questions and um, then we'll go into a medical study that we did um, review with Dr. Patrick Burns, who co-authored the medical studies. And um, after that, we'll hear from Angela, who recorded a little bit of something on anti-inflammatories. So I want to start with a listener review. And this um, listener review comes from Jeffrey K. And Jeffrey K. says, great podcast. You know, keeping it short and sweet. Thank you so much, Jeffrey K. We appreciate your review. We're appreciating you taking the time to just click and do it because any kind of review helps our visibility. And I want to encourage you guys to do the same, even if it's just a um, couple words. Great podcast. Thanks, Jeffrey. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so before we get started with our topic, I, like I said, I'm going to call Australian physiotherapist Brody Sharp and ask him a question from one of our listeners. Hi, Brody. How are you doing today? I'm good, lady. How are you? I'm doing great. I have a question here for you from Simone Henderson. And she says, thank you for answering my question. I have lower back pain. Not sure if running caused it, but definitely doesn't make it better or go away. On a scale from one to 10, it's a six. So I, um, so I can run through it, but not sure if I should or not. Mm, okay. Hi, Simone. Um, I guess when it comes to low back pain, there's there's a lot of possibilities that it could be. There's a lot of potential diagnoses. So I, I don't want to try and um, guess what I think it is um, because we, we do need to do a certain amount of tests and things like that in order to come up with a really nice um, management plan. But first of all, if you're saying that the pain levels are around about a six, when you run, I would say that that pain level is a little bit too much 
and it's probably best that you do get it checked out or treated in some form or um, try something to calm down that pain level because we should be running. We don't have to run pain-free, but below a four out of 10 can be okay as long as it's not aggravated afterwards and if you're seeing a general improvement week to week. Um, So that would be my advice whether you should continue running or not. Usually with these type of pains, if it doesn't resolve on its own in one to two weeks, you do need an assessment or you do need some sort of treatment because the longer you've had it for, the harder it is to get rid of once you do seek treatment. Um, so that's in my, my next bit of advice. When it comes to lower back pain in runners, it is particularly rare for runners. So I might, um, when you said you're not sure if running caused it, um, I would say that it might be, a combination of something outside of running and running. And it might be, it might be the fact it might be posture based. It might be because you're sitting too long. It might be, um, I don't know about daily duties. If you have any kids or if you're doing much lifting, that kind of thing. Um, but what I have found in the past is uh, low back pain can be triggered by something outside of running. And then once it's aggravated once it's irritated then running doesn't help recover it so it might not be from the running but running might not be the best thing for it especially if those um, pain levels are so elevated perfect and where can she get more information or contact you if needed Uh, so you can head to my website i have runsmarter.online is the website and you can um, just fill out the contact form uh, if you have any questions thank you brody so much brilliant thank you Thank you so much, Brody. And as always, I want to encourage our listeners to send us a message with a question for Brody. We're almost out of questions. Um, so it's time for me to collect a new batch. If you have any kind of PT issue, anything that happened to you running, not running, doing any kind of exercise, send it to us and we'll have Brody answer those questions for you on the air. All right. So today we're going to talk about a couple of medical studies, specifically a medical study about the infamous vitamin I, also known in the running community as ibuprofen and uh, hydration. So we're going to talk with one of the doctors who co-authored the studies, Patrick Burns. So to do and collect the data for their study, um, they used a company called Racing the Planet, which hosts week-long athletic events, which sometimes involve, you know, running 150 miles over seven days and rough terrain and different deserts around the world. And so that way they have um, many variables from people coming in, you know, they come from different countries, etc. And then they would get these people to sign off waivers and um, conduct their studies. So like I said, two studies, ibuprofen and electrolytes, specifically for the ibuprofen study, they sought to find an answer as to whether or not it is safe and um, if there's a safe way to take ibuprofen and whether or not it's beneficial. Um, since it's not uncommon for trail runners to pop a little vitamin I to help combat the pain of the heart race. While ibuprofen can act as a powerful anti-inflammatory for post-race recovery, many runners are opting to use it before and during the races. And so that way, you know, for that reason, we review the studies to see what's the effect of all of this. So for the second study, um, this is on electrolytes. As you all know, that's a huge industry in the United States and all over the world. We all buy and take them. And this study is um, about exercise-associated hyponatremia, which has been described to be exhaustion during marathons, triathlons, and other endurance or athletic events. 
Of course, since endurance sports and all these events have become more popular, you know, there's so many marathoners and triathletes out there now, we have to wonder and um, inform ourselves and uh, know what studies are out there that study hydration to see if electrolytes can really serve as preventatives. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So I'm going to start by uh, telling you guys a little bit about Dr. Patrick Burns. Patrick Burns is a medical doctor. He went to medical school at Tufts University School of Medicine, completed his emergency residency at the University of Washington, and finally completed his fellowship in wilderness medicine at Stanford University School of Medicine. He's currently a clinical assistant professor at the Department of Emergency, Stanford University School of Medicine. He's an assistant director at the Wilderness Medicine section, and he's a director at the ACCEL Wilderness Medicine Track Residency Program. So Patrick himself has been a runner since his high school days, and after college that became more of a running for enjoyment and exploration. And um, the years after college, he started exploring the world as a traveling teacher and trip guide, and through that running was always an easy way to explore new countries. Soon after, Patrick started running marathons, inspired by his sister Katie, who was an avid runner herself and had already completed six marathons by the time Patrick trained for his first. And together with his sister, he completed his first Boston Marathon. Fast forward four years later, he began a wilderness medicine fellowship at Stanford, where he was first exposed to the Racing the Planet series and their ultimate ultra marathon format as a researcher on a race in Ecuador and he was hooked. Now since his fellowship and in his role as an academic emergency medicine physician, Patrick has worked with Racing the Planet to answer questions related to ultra running. This project also coincided with his first RTP ultra marathon, a fantastically humbling experience as he says. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Patrick Burns. So I'm here with Dr. Patrick Burns. Patrick, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Perfect. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your running, and when and how you started researching running? Sure. Yeah, it's, um, I guess it's a longish story. Um, <laughs> not really. I, I, ran, uh, I ran track in high school and wasn't very fast. And so they put me in the long distance events because that's what they did in high school. And, um, and I started running, you know, the two mile race and I really, really enjoyed it. And then went off to college and didn't run so much anymore competitively and then traveled for a while and then moved back to the East coast. And my sister had become uh, an avid runner and had run six or seven marathons at that point. And we were standing at the finish line of the Boston Marathon one year, and she was like, "Hey, do you want to do you want to do this next year?" And I was like, "Nah, I don't want to do that." Um, and then she kept pushing at it, and we ended up training together, and ran. I ran my first marathon with her, uh, and then just kind of kept running throughout the years, which has been really, really fun. And then I was able to um, kind of make that meld with my 
with my professional life, um, doing emergency medicine and then, and then wilderness medicine, and then doing research in ultra length, uh, ultra marathons. Um, yeah, it's been really fun. That's awesome. Well, thank you, your sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you work as an emergency physician, and you've also performed and participated in a couple of studies. One of them is about the effects and dangers of ibuprofen, and the other one is a study on hydration and hydration supplements. Um, but before we go into these studies, can you explain some terms to us such as acute kidney failure and renal failure? Sure. Um, talking about uh, acute kidney injury and renal failure, um, it's really when the, the kidneys aren't working the way that you are expecting them to work. Um, there's a lot of kind of definitions out there uh, and ones that we use for the study to kind of constitute what renal failure or acute kidney injury is. But in reality, it, ju it just means the kidneys are, aren't functioning the way that you are expecting them to function. Okay, and that can happen. Um, in what cases can that happen? Talking it can happen about in a lot of reasons for uh, medication side effects. It can happen from dehydration. It can really any time that we don't have enough blood flow to the kidneys to kind of keep it uh, to keep it to keep enough oxygen, keep enough uh, 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 yeah perfusion to the kidneys can can cause injury. Okay, makes sense. So, can you also talk about? the difference between non-steroidal and anti-inflammatory drugs and Tylenol so we can get out of the way why runners prefer taking ibuprofen over Tylenol? Sure. Um, yeah, they're, they're two very different medications that get um, kind of lumped in together often. Uh, Tylenol or acetaminophen is, uh, is uh, a medication that helps that we take for, for fevers and for pain. Um, whereas ibuprofen or other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, we take also can take for fevers or pain or for inflammation, uh, which is, I think what most runners are taking it for, for pain and inflammation. Um, so it works, they work on two very different pathways, uh, in the body, uh, and, um, people have preferences for which one works better for them. Right. So that's why those are called vitamin I and the runners. Can <laughs> that's true. All right. So now that we've established why using anti-inflammatories could be better, you know, could make you think that not having inflammation could make you run further, faster, better. Can we get into the study? Um, and can you start by telling us what question you guys were trying to seek to answer? Sure. Um, I mean, as a runner myself and, and everybody else that was working on the study has also been runners. Um, and, you know, we've all from time to time used, used ibuprofen or similar anti and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories um, to help with various aches and pains associated with our training. Um, and seeing how often other runners are using it uh, in the medical community, there is a we have a constant kind of thought about ibuprofen being somewhat dangerous or potentially um, problematic in uh, people whose kidneys aren't working that well. And by extrapolation, people who are running expedition length ultramarathons are setting themselves up for dehydration and kidney injury to begin with. And the thought is that potentially 
using these medications that could cause further kidney injury uh, could be problematic um, for runners. Now, comparing that with the fact that we know that a lot of runners actually use this while they're running um, and not, you know, a whole ton of runners are going on dialysis, then what, you know, where, where is the, the disconnect here? Or what, is there a potentially safe way to use this medication or is it, is it beneficial? Um, so I think those were all the questions that kind of were leading up to the creation of this the research project. All right. So who um, performed this? Who, who was your group of uh, doctors that decided to come up with a study? Sure. The, the study was a, the brainchild of um, Dr. Grant Lippman, who uh, I work with at, at Stanford. Um, when I started, this study was conducting in 2015 and 2016 at a couple of uh, um, sites around the world. And um, I was finishing residency at that time, applying to fellowship. Uh, so the, uh, the, the study was conducted by, through Stanford at that time, who, and I was one of their, their researchers that went off to the field to go do study collection uh, or data collection. Um, yeah. And then how were you going to do this? Um, how did you pick the places where you were going to research this and who was going to perform and, and all that? Sure. Yeah. So we um, we're very fortunate at Stanford. We work with this um, ultra marathon uh, racing company called Racing the Planet. They're based out of uh, Hong Kong, and they do expedition length ultra marathons in austere environments from around the world. So uh, they do a race series called the Four Desert Racer Series, where they, it's basically a six to seven day adventure where you are. Um, carrying all of the stuff that you need to survive for six to seven days by yourself. The company will provide a, a tent to sleep in at night and uh, water. And that's, that's what you get from them. Um, and you have to have like your clothes, your food and everything that you could potentially need during that time. And also nothing super heavy because you're carrying it all and you're trying to race. So you try to go fast. So you're basically doing a, a marathon a day for, uh, four consecutive days. And then on the fifth day, you'll do a double marathon. Um, and then on the sixth day is kind of a rest day. And then you do a 10 K at the end to finish. Um, so it ends up being about 250 kilometers over the course of that week. And the way this study functioned, we were looking at runners on the long day. So the, the double marathon, 80 kilometer day, uh, that's usually about day five. Um, so the way that we had this set up is that we, we had four different locations, um, one in the Atacama Desert of Chile, one in the Gobi Desert of China, one in Ecuador, and one in Sri Lanka uh, for this race. And so on the, on the fifth day, on the long day, we would randomize uh, those participants who, who enrolled in the study uh, to see if they would either be getting a placebo, like a sugar pill, or a um, or 400 milligrams of ibuprofen every four hours during the course of, of their long race. Um, and then at the end of that day, we would check, we would do a blood draw and take a look at, at their kidney function, looking at a, a lab value called creatinine that we uh, commonly look at for, for how well your kidneys are, are working. Um, and then we would define acute kidney injury as, as a, a value more than two times 
what the normal value of your companion should be. Um, that sounds awesome. All right. So then what were the findings of the study and can you interpret those to us for us? Yeah. So it's interesting. So <clears throat> I was really, really hopeful that uh, we were going to find that, you know, taking ibuprofen during these long races wasn't bad for you. Um, we didn't find that. <laughs> um, we, so basically we're looking at, so again, we're looking at this marker of acute kidney injury. So this creatinine value that I'm talking about. Um, what we found was that, was that, uh, so we had preset a kind of like, it can't be any more different than this line. So we said a difference of 15% from the baseline. So a worse outcome of more than 15% taking the ibuprofen would be unacceptable to the racing population about the risk of using, uh, of using ibuprofen. And we came up with that number by surveying a whole bunch of people and uh, seeing what they, seeing what they thought would be the, uh, an acceptable risk to undertake for the benefit that they perceive of taking ibuprofen. And so with that 15% line, we actually found that there was about an 18% difference. So we we're just over the line of, of, uh, of what would be an acceptable, what was thought to be an acceptable risk of taking ibuprofen. So uh, actually have 18% more uh, acute kidney injury taking ibuprofen than you do just uh, running these races and taking a placebo. Um, I don't have a good recommendation based on this, uh, based on this study for you, mostly because we don't really know what that means. If your creatinine goes up to two times normal, um, okay, does that, are people having worse outcomes because of that? Are people having problems because of that? Are they, what we've seen in other studies that we've done is that um, generally when you run these ultra marathons, even just one day of this ultra marathon, you're, you will bump a creatinine level. You're, you will show signs of acute kidney injuries, but subsequent measurements like the next day is that your kidney function goes back to normal. Now, does that happen with ibuprofen? I don't know. We didn't study that. Um, so I don't know, like maybe, maybe you do bump a little worse during that day, but maybe you still go back to normal the next day. I don't, I don't know. We, that's definitely an unanswered question right now. So I, I, I don't, it's a little bit difficult to interpret what, what this study actually, um, means clinically. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't take, I don't take it when I run anymore. I really don't. After the study came out, um, and the results came out, I, cause I used to take it when I ran. But you don't um, take it because it went over that line that you guys um, set. Yeah. yeah, I think it's more likely that it can cause kidney injury than, uh, I mean, because we, uh, acetaminophen shouldn't, like Tylenol shouldn't cause kidney injury um, just because of the mechanism in action. So going into that hydration study, can you tell us a little bit about that? And was that done um, during the same time or was that a completely separate uh, thing? Oh yeah, so we did um, we did another we we've done a bunch of studies with uh, Racing the Planet. They've been super supportive um, uh, for our our questions that we have, which is really great. Um, so this was a completely separate study done a couple of years after after the ibuprofen study, looking at 
hydration and looking at uh, electrolyte supplementations, most no most notably sodium supplementation and prevention of um, what's called uh, uh, exercise-associated hyponatremia or EAH, uh, which is a potentially fatal um, complication that can happen from, from running these races. Uh, you know, so we're looking at, we're looking at that, but not in association not in association with uh, ibuprofen at all. So for that study with the hydration, um, what were you trying to? What answer were you trying to seek, or what were the questions that you were trying? We to were trying to see. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of push to use um, electrolyte supplementation while we're running, especially longer format races, and. Um, there's not a ton of data to suggest that it is preventative for this outcome that we're really concerned about, EAH, exercise-associated hyponatremia. Um, and our study also failed to show any association between electrolyte supplementation and prevention of, of this disease. Um, uh, you know, are there, are there other reasons to use electrolytes? Yeah, probably. Do I use them? Sure. <laughs> Um, but using them to using them with knowledge to prevent something that we're very concerned about is, is it's unclear. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is that it doesn't matter whether or not we drink electrolytes or water. And also from what I've heard you say, you know, you drink to thirst. It doesn't matter if you follow those textbook guidelines to drinking, I don't know, a couple ounces every 30 minutes or whatever they say. You just, you're supposed to drink when you're thirsty and electrolytes can help you in a way, maybe keeping it equal, but then you also have to pay attention to how much water you drink, drink to not dilute it. And all those things are true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's more complicated than it seems. Yeah. Drinking to thirst seems to be the best option that we have right now. Um, uh, electrolytes can be maybe helpful for hydration, but probably not necessarily helpful in preventing um, uh, exercise associated hyponatremia. More data needs to be, uh, we need to figure more stuff out. So do you think it's possible that our bodies produce whatever we are sweating out by themselves, maybe from what we've taken in through food or what we have in our bodies to supplement that on itself? Because, I mean, if you think about it, back in the days, nobody had these fancy electrolytes and people were still running distances and they still were okay. Yeah, I mean, our, our kidneys are incredible organs that, like, help concentrate uh, uh, fluids, help concentrate salts in our body that, like, help filter lots of, lots of toxins and, you know, things out of our body. Like, it's... You know, our, our kidneys are pretty spectacular organs. Um, yeah, they, they do a lot without us needing to supplement them. All right. That sounds like um, the hype of all the running <laughs> shoes that they have nowadays, too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, okay. So um, if people want to learn more about this, are there any future studies that are going to happen that you have planned or... Yeah, um, I'm sure there will be. We kind of hit a snag in our research because of COVID. Um, it's really hard to have ultra marathons in austere environments from with people from like 80 to 100 different countries when, when uh, you know, we can't have races. But um, eventually, I think we will. Uh, 
we are in the midst of looking at a, a question on like blister prevention or blister treatment. Um, uh, we're only about halfway done that study right now. We still have two more sites to, to run it at once, once races start again. Uh, but yeah, there'll be more, more coming from us. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be able to run another one of these races. Great. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Just sign up for that reason, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much. Um, you've, uh, left us probably with a few more questions, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? than we came in with, but, um, so basically what would you say to conclude from all of this? If you could sum it up in one sentence. Sure. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess what I can leave you with is what I've taken away from it for my own running. Um, one drink to thirst Two, I avoid ibuprofen when I run. Um, I'll take it after I run, but, but I'll make sure that I'm well hydrated before I do that. Um, if I need something while I'm running, I take Tylenol. And as far as electrolytes go, I use them because I like the taste of them. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Sure. No worries. Thank you, Patrick, so much for all your insight and your jokes. I had a great time talking with you. And now I'm going to play you Angela's uh, information that she collected about natural anti-inflammatories. Next, I'm going to be sharing with you some information about ways that you can decrease your inflammation naturally. So going off the topic of these different NSAIDs, and we talked about the different benefits and the different negative effects, I'm just going to continue on with that a little bit further and then go into some different options of ways that you can decrease your inflammation naturally. So really briefly, some of the different players that you would say in inflammation really quickly would be the arachidonic acid, the prostaglandins, thromboxanes, the COX-1 and 2 enzymes, cytokines, interleukin A, B, 6, and tumor necrosis factor alpha. So the reason that I'm mentioning those to you is so that I can briefly just explain what these NSAIDs do and the kind of their mechanism in, in these process using these different factors and how that can negatively affect you and negatively affect your health. So the, the NSAIDs, basically what they've evolved to do is they will block both COX-1 and COX-2 enzymes. So they're blocking these enzymes from happening. And then as in response, they're blocking those enzymes. So then they're blocking the response of the prostaglandins. So along that whole stream, they're blocking this different these different inflammatory responses that your body naturally would do in response to any form of inflammation, you know, and when we hear that automatically, we think, okay, good, we're going to block that response. I don't want any form of pain. But if you think about it, your body is really this amazing mechanism that has the ability to take care of itself. I mean, think about it. If we were to not eat, your body knows where to go into your body to still pull energy and then still create energy for longer periods of time. It, it knows how to respond to to high stress, to low stress, to to pain, to all of these different things that go on in our life, our body is able to respond to it. Just like inflammation, our body knows what to do and it has these different mechanisms in place so that 
it is able to heal and respond from it. Think about it when you get an injury. Your body knows how to respond. It sends these different mechanisms to the injured site to heal it. So I think let's look in terms of if you were to improve on more of a natural level, what are some ways that you can improve upon your body's natural ability to respond to inflammation and then in turn with that natural ability decrease the inflammation long term. So improving upon so that we're not having more chronic inflammation, we're not having more long-term inflammation, but our body is stronger, our cells are stronger, so that this inflammation is handled and it doesn't have to go on long-term. Okay, so really briefly, some of the negative effects of NSAIDs. So NSAIDs are the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So NSAIDs taken into our body, what they can do is they can significantly upset our GI tract. So what happens is when we take them into our body, they can they can permeate the lining of our stomach. And through that process, they can cause GI distress. They can cause gastritis, inflammation of the, of the lining. They can create ulcerations. They can create hemorrhages. They can create ulcers in our body. So oftentimes people will develop ulcers and they'll develop, um, acid reflux and, and things of that nature. And it's, often related to long-term use of NSAIDs. Not always, but sometimes it can be related to that. Um, and it can also create uh, intestinal permeability of our stomach. So what it can do is it can create, if you've ever heard of that term, is essentially leaky gut is so that our, our, our stomach lining and in the GI tract lining isn't as strong so that foods are getting through and it's creating more inflammation systemically throughout our body. So another thing that NSAIDs can do is they can potentially delay muscle regeneration, potentially reduce ligament tendon and cartilage healing because through this process, through this process, they can do that. And NSAIDs also, they've been known to wipe out the entire inflammatory mediated phase of the white blood cells. So Essentially, you have to think about it in terms of they're blocking your body's natural ability to respond to inflammation. So in that process, it can create negative effects. And these are just some of the examples. This is taken from one study. You can look up thousands of studies that are out there and look up the negative effects. But you can also recognize the benefits of it. And I would say, you know, just like mentioned earlier, it can be helpful acute in, in acute situations, you know, if it's short-term inflammation. But also, there are other options out there that can be helpful in those acute situations as well. And if you are going to be taking something in an acute situation when you have inflammation, just be aware of the negative effects of taking it. So let's talk about some ways that you can potentially improve inflammation on your own and your body's ability to respond to inflammation. So I have four tips. First one would be your diet. Second one would be sleep. Third one would be through different herbs or supplements. And fourth would be through your stress, decreasing and managing your stress. So let's start with the diet, my favorite. (laughs) Okay, so with the diet, so of course, when you think about all these different mechanisms, and I know a lot of us and a lot of you 
you're not thinking when you think in terms of inflammation and pain, you're not thinking, oh, how can I improve my cells and make my cells work better? I know you're not thinking that, but let me just explain this to you so you can understand it, is when those biochemical processes happen within your body, when your cells are stronger and you're you're providing more nourishment, nutrients, vitamins, minerals for your cells to be stronger, that process is going to work a lot better. Your body is going to be a lot stronger and be able to respond to that process much more quick to, quickly, much more effectively. So some ways that we can do that is through improving our diet. And let's start with things that we can decrease. We can decrease refined carbohydrates. So when we say refined, we're thinking of less nutritious carbohydrates, um, nutrition, nutritious lacking carbohydrates. So white carbohydrates like white bread, white pastas, things that have been essentially stripped of their nutrition. And it's, it's basically just a carbohydrate. So we want to look for things like whole grains, we want to look for tubers, um, sweet potatoes, purple potatoes, squash, things like that, fruits, vegetables, other forms of nutrient-dense carbohydrates. So we also want to decrease refined oils. So we want to decrease these more inflammatory oils that are high in omega-6 like sesame oil, um, saffron oil, sunflower oil, canola oil, and these oils are in so much of our food. If we were look to look at the ingredients list of most of the things that we eat, we would be astounded by the amount of refined and processed oils that we're consuming on a regular basis. So some ways you can combat that is increase your intake of more healthy oils, more oils that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids and combat that high omega-6 ratio, bring it down by increasing your omega-3 intake. So we can take in things like coconut oil. We can take in things like olive oil. There's so many other healthy oils that are out there, but I would say olive oils is one of the greatest oils to take in. You want to get as healthy and as pure of a source of olive oil as you can. Coconut oil is also great too. Other things like avocado oil and different nut and seed oils are good as well. Okay. We can also decrease, and I would say just completely eliminate trans fat, if at all possible, try and eliminate that trans fat. This is something that your body really isn't recognizing and is, is not helpful in any way at all. It's a man-made, it's a man-made product. Also, things that we can decrease is excess alcohol. So if we're drinking alcohol in excess, that's one way that we can decrease our inflammation also potentially decrease our weight <laughs> and decrease excess meat and dairy intake. So meat and dairy, you know, all these different foods, I, I really don't look at foods as good or bad, but I would look at when you're taking in certain foods and certain things in excess, that's when they become bad. So eliminating excess amounts of dairy, eliminating excess amounts of meat and getting them from pure grass fed natural sources is often as possible. Some other things that we can increase in our diet. So ways that we can improve upon and improving our body's ability to respond to that inflammatory response, decrease inflammation throughout our body is increasing omega-3 oils, like I mentioned. So increasing DHA and EPA. And you can do that through the, the oils, but you can also do that through fish. So 
taking in more cold water fish. If you can, at all possible, two to three servings per week as an athlete would be fantastic. And if you can't, that's when you opt more for the supplement. Um, and things like fish like salmon and um, haddock are some examples, but you might want to look up the omega-3 ratio of the different fish and look for those more pure sources if at all possible. Some other things that you want to increase, of course, is vegetables. We, of course, want to increase our vegetable intake. And when you're increasing your vegetable intake, think about it in terms of color. Don't just say, okay, I'm going to have broccoli and I'm going to have broccoli every single day. Well, okay, broccoli is good, but maybe we can get in some broccoli one day and Brussels sprouts another day, red cabbage another day, different colored carrots another day. Um, you know, getting in those different colors, that is really going to improve your health status because you're getting different phytonutrients. Every color has a different phytonutrient in it. It has different vitamins. It has different minerals. And your body needs all those different vitamins and all those different minerals. So as much as you can every week, thinking about it in terms of the rainbow, am I getting different colors of the rainbow? Did I get orange in my diet this week? Did I get purple in my diet this week? And if not, what are some ways that I can implement more of that into my diet? Then looking at in terms of fruits, fruits are great too. Specifically, berries will be great for decreasing our inflammation status. So blueberries, strawberries, blackberries, raspberries, all are great and they're low glycemic. So high in fiber, packed with nutrition. Other things that we can increase in our diet is legumes. So getting more beans into our diet, which sometimes more commonly in the American population we, we struggle with unless it's in the form of hummus or at Chipotle. <laughs> so thinking of ways that we can get more beans and variety of beans. There's so many other beans other than just black beans, you know. So getting more of that, and which is going to increase your fiber status and just improve your overall health. And also nuts. Nuts are good. You know, we, we don't want to just have cashews all the time, but <laughs> we want to get more variety of nuts, nuts and seeds, I would say. Like things like walnuts are great, really awesome. That also you're going to get some EPA and DHA in the, in terms of seeds. We can get flax seeds, chia seeds, pumpkin seeds, all different, all great seeds and nuts that we can get more of that into our diet regularly. And then, of course, herbs. There are so many different great herbs that are anti-inflammatory that we can implement into our diet on a regular basis, like garlic and just so many other great herbs out there. So let's talk a little bit about the different supplements. So some supplements that you can look into is turmeric, um, which can often be recognized or seen on a label as curcumin. When you are getting turmeric, you do want to have it in combination with pepper because it just helps to enhance turmeric's ability to decrease inflammation. Also fish oil, like we mentioned. Ginger is another great one. Cayenne pepper, which is more commonly recognized as capsaicin. It, and it's generally used topically. So like putting that on top of your skin when you have a pain, like maybe like an ankle pain or a knee pain and you want to put that on topically. Also tart cherry juice is another common one. That, and you'll often see that in supplements like included within different athletic supplements to take it like post-workout or something like that because it helps with that inflammatory response. Also different herbs that 
you can take in the form of supplements would be like cinnamon, clove, rosemary, but also really interesting and, and really can potentially be very potent in decreasing inflammation is white willow, pine bark, resveratrol, and frankincense. So just some different things to think about. And I have two caveats on the topic of supplements. Um, first one being that when you are purchasing a supplement, you generally don't want to get a supplement just from a pharmacy. You want to get a higher quality supplement. If you want a supplement to work for your body and, and to have an effect as strong as decreasing inflammation, you want to take it in as high of a quality source as possible. So whether that is buying it from a pharmaceutical grade company or at minimum going to a health food store and buying a higher quality supplement, looking for different labels on your supplements such as GMP, good manufacturing practices, and, and there are several others that you can look out for when you're purchasing your supplements. Choosing that is going to be so much more effective than just grabbing something at a, a food store or at a pharmacy. Okay. Also looking into the ingredients of your supplements and trying to get the purest forms as possible whenever possible. Um, secondly, I, as a caveat with these supplements is I want to keep in mind that these supplements are going to have similar responses to the NSAID medication. So they may be blocking some of these biochemical processes as well. So just keeping that in mind, I don't want to completely knock the NSAIDs and say, well, they're blocking this this chemical response and that's what makes them bad. It's more so the negative effects that is making them a bad thing. And, and the thing about these supplements is they have less of a negative effect on your body. They're going to create less of a, of a harm. They, they, all of them will potentially have side effects. And if you are on any medications, you want to check with your doctor before taking any of these supplements because a lot of them have blood thinning effects and that's how they're able to decrease the inflammation in your body. But if you're already on a blood thinner or other similar medications, you don't want to be taking this supplement in addition to that. It can be harmful for your health, especially with any type of an herb, you always want to check with check with your doctor before starting a new supplement. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Let me know if you have any questions on that or if you'd like me to share more information on this topic. So thanks so much for listening and we hope you guys have a great week of running. Thanks for listening to this episode. As always, we hope that we were able to provide you with something of value. Make sure you like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Our account you can find under WGTR Podcast. Thanks. Until next time, have a great week of running.